so I uh, was assigned with this priest. Uh, this is years ago. Uh, we were in the same parish, in the same rectory, and he had a dog, and um, the dog was great. Um, the priest was so-so. Um, he, was, he was a nice guy, but he was, um, he was really annoying uh, when it came to the dog. It was annoying about the dog. He just never shut up about the dog, honestly. He, um, I think he was sort of like the child that he never had, this particular dog. Everybody knew about the dog because he pretty much talked about him all the time. Like whenever, whatever homily he was given, somehow he worked the dog into the homily. Um, he thought people loved it. I mean, I'm sure some people did, but most were like, enough with the dog, like, okay, like, enough. Um, anyway, uh, I got a dog back in April, and um, when I got her, I kind of made this promise to myself. I said, uh, I'm never going to be that guy. I'm just not going to be like that guy. I'm not going to get up and somehow make a gospel connection or a homily connection to my dog. I'm just not going to do it. What's so funny? You know, it's just, it's just annoying. It's, it's too much. It's kind of presumptuous. It's like people don't really care. So I won't do it, except for tonight. <laughs> I, uh, I had a dog before this one. Uh, her name was Kelly, and she was kind of tough. She was uh, kind of moody and very unpredictable. Um, I loved her. She loved me, but she really wasn't great with people. A few people, but most not. You know, we lived in a rectory. It's a public place. Like, it's not a good place to have a dog that's not very friendly. Uh, so she died about two years ago when I decided to get another. I really did my homework because I didn't, I didn't want to have the same experience. Um, I got this book that was recommended. It's written by kind of like this dog whisperer guy. Um, I watched a bunch of videos, pretty much like what you really need to do when you get a puppy. You know what, it was kind of simple. After reading the book and watching the videos, it was kind of like, it almost came down to like one or two simple principles. In fact, I came, really came down to this, I think. It's all about what they see and what they hear the first few months of their lives. These puppies, like it's, it's all about the operative word was socialization. Like they just need to meet a lot of people, a lot of dogs, a lot. <laughs> like as much as you can. Um, it's very simple principle. If, if, you, if you socialize them well, well then they're gonna be very social. They're gonna be the dog that you want. You know, and every dog is different. You know, this isn't like absolute all the time, but pretty much it works. Every dog is different, and certain breeds are certainly are, are different. But kind of at the end of the day, it's like 
If they hear and see important, necessary, true things from the start, right out of the box, you're going to have a great dog. But you totally got to be committed to it. It's got to be consistent. It's got to be sort of constant. It's work. But man, the the end result is just like, it's a no-brainer. It was so worth it. The rule was, I kept reading about, it was 100, 100 people in 100 days. You know, ideally, if you can get your puppy to meet 100 different people over 100 days, they're just going to be, they're going to be great with people. Same with dogs. You know, when I got my first dog, Kelly, I didn't read anything. I watched no videos. I, I don't know, I just thought I knew what I was doing. I had dogs growing up, but I mean, I wasn't in charge of training them. But I just sort of thought I knew it. So the idea of like, get the dog around lots of other dogs in the beginning, I didn't do that at all. Not for any reason, I was just kind of ignorant. So my dog never really met many, many dogs when she was a puppy. Well, guess what? She was terrible with dogs. When I'd take her for a walk, I'd have to be like, nah, she's not too friendly. Half the time, she'd be wanting to fight. I never taught her. I never prepared her. <laughs> it really wasn't her fault. I'd be screaming at her, but it wasn't really her fault. I should have known better. I should have done better. And you know what? This isn't a pup, just a puppy thing. I think it's a people thing. It's a life thing. It just happens to apply to the puppies as well. But it's as much a person thing as it is a puppy thing. And if that's the truth, that I think it is, then let's ask ourselves tonight, like, what's the stuff that I just, I need to hear and I need to see? all the time because it's just critical it's just essential like you need it you need it for a good life and do I hear those things do I witness those things do I communicate those things do people see those things in me in the way I live my life and I don't care if you're young or old we're all capable of this and responsible for it what do people see and hear from each of us that communicates God's truth? I remember reading this article about, uh, it was about uh, Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans years ago. And it was an interesting article. It was uh, written by this journalist who was there. He was on the scene in the midst of all of that misery. And he told this story one day, he was, uh, he was a couple of weeks into it, and uh, he was hanging out at this sort of makeshift center. I think it was either a, a school hall or a, a church hall, some auditorium somewhere that they turned into a, a place where people could go to get food and water and blankets. It's exactly what we did at St. Mary's for weeks after uh, Sandy. Anyway, this is where this guy is, and he's kind of just reporting on what he's seeing, and there's this 
line of people you kind of had to like check out. So you'd, you'd get the stuff you needed, then it was sort of, I guess, sort of like a checkout spot, and they would process it. And he described it. He said people were just shot. They were just so beaten up at this point. They were exhausted. Things were not really getting better at this point. They were tired and depressed. And this woman is online, and she, uh, she asks the guy, the checkout guy, if she can have batteries for her flashlights. And the guy goes over, and he goes into a box, and he hands her two, two batteries. And she says, could I have six? And she explains it. She says, I've got three kids, and they're afraid to go to sleep in the dark. And there was no power. There was no electricity at this point. So these little kids would turn the flashlight on and, I don't know, or she would, and somehow prop it up somewhere so there was some light because they just weren't sleeping. They were scared. And the writer said she sounded like she was very much alone. She, she didn't reference a, a husband or a father. It seemed like she was pretty much on her own. And she looked exhausted. And the guy says, uh, I can only give you two, sort of like they were rationing it. And there's other people online, and they're waiting, and they're kind of listening, and she explains it again, like, I just, I really need, I need six. And the guy's like, lady, I, I know, I, I hear you, but I, I can only give you two. And she just kind of stares at him like, like, come on, I can't, I can't leave here without. And he says, listen, if you come back with a relative, if you come back with a relative, I'll give you two more. If you come back with two relatives, I'll give you four more. But I can't give you more than two. And then she says to him, I don't have any relatives. I have nobody here nearby. And he's like, I, I, don't, know what, I don't know what to say. So the guy behind, the next guy in line goes, excuse me, sir. I'm her brother. This guy was black. The lady was white. Like, there's no way they were brother and sister. And then on the next line over, there's this Hispanic woman. And she's overhearing this, and she goes, Sir, I'm her sister. And the guy knows this is not true, but he smiles. And I think he even realized, like, kind of what he, he was getting too hung up on the rules. Like, sometimes you got to break the rules. So he goes back, and he hands her the six the four extra batteries, and she walks out with six. I don't know who that guy was who said he was her brother. I mean, we'll never know. But I'll bet this much, and I can't prove it, but I suspect that guy must have heard important things from important people when he was a kid. He must have consistently heard certain principles. He heard them and he probably witnessed them. And sort of instinctively, he stepped up and said, yeah, come on, like, you got to give this woman some extra batteries. And this guy kind of shifted the whole direction. She got what she needed. And she got more than the batteries. I think everybody got a little bit of light and a little bit of hope that they were all kind of needed in the moment. I'll bet you that guy heard about, heard that. Kind of like well-adjusted adjusted puppies. You know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, first day of school next door at Long Beach Catholic, uh, the kids were 
was the first morning, and they were lining up in the schoolyard, kind of according to their classes. And uh, so I went over, and I'm just kind of saying hello and kind of working the crowd and welcome, welcoming them back. And I was, I, I was by the either the fifth or sixth grade class, and I'm talking to this girl, and I'm like, hey, how was your summer? And she's like, okay. And then I, I said something like, uh, well, it's good to have you back. And she says to me, uh, I'm not back. She said, this is, I'm new here. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't here last year. So I'm like, oh, sorry. Um, and I'm now, I'm asking her even, talking to her even more. She looked very uncomfortable. She looked very alone and kind of scared, really. Like she didn't want to be there and kind of didn't know anybody. So I'm kind of talking to her a little bit more and and then a couple of seconds later, maybe 10 or 12 feet away, there's another sixth grader classmate and calls her name. And she and calls her name and just kind of points to her and says, like, come here. And man, this girl's face just lit up. She was so done with me. <laughs> like, she was like, and I couldn't blame her. She just looked instantly at ease kind of like this look of dread that was sort of all over her face. It just disappeared. You know, it was so cool. I looked at this girl, the girl who invited her, and we kind of met eyes, and I kind of nodded at her like, you're, you're a good girl. You're a good kid. And she kind of nodded back at me like, like she knew why I was affirming her, because she knew that was the right thing to do. Well, I bet that girl heard some important things from important people in her life when she was a puppy. I think that's the way it works. What we hear and what we see from the beginning, like we never forget it. We never forget it. So it's so key. It's so critical. It's not just a puppy thing. And you know what? Here's the crazy part. As true as that is, it's just so hard. We hear things, we learn things, we experience things that are essential, and we still forget in the course of life. Like, we forget the stuff that we know is, like, eternal and so important to life. But we kind of get blinded and seduced by other stuff. It's like some other shiny object in the room grabs our attention. And I forget about where my focus should be. We all do it. I mean, look at this gospel tonight. Look at the two who screw up, James and John. They were students in Jesus' classroom. And they're saying, hey, do you think you can get us front row seats? You think you can get us a hook? You think you can get us close to you in heaven? Jesus is like, no, no, I can't do that. I mean, don't you think these two guys heard a lot from Jesus? Things like, it's all about humility. It's all about serving people. It's all about putting other people first. It's all about you being last. I mean, that's all he ever talked about. And these two guys forgot. That gives me, that makes me feel better because I forget all the time. The things that I should never forget, I forget because I get sort of, distracted by something or someone else. But it happened to the best of us. It happens to the best of us. So you know what? I think like all the more 
we need to step it up. Like if we're not communicating, if we don't communicate all the time God's truth in our own way, if we don't communicate it, nobody's going to hear it. I mean, do you think the culture's effectively teaching us about God? Like, I don't think so. Even in schools, if even a fraction of what we're hearing about some of what's being taught in schools is true, it's like, I don't want, I don't want my kid hearing that. We're not hearing about God in school. So like, we're not, we're not hearing about God on TV. Like, where are we gonna hear about God's truth? How are we gonna know? Yeah, like, when that kid in the schoolyard is alone, you get yourself over there and you rescue that kid. I don't know if that's an instinctive thing. I think that's a taught thing. That's something we see in other important people. So I guess the question is like, are we seeing it? I remember, I remember reading this story about Mother Teresa. <laughs> she was given this talk here in the United States and they was a, I guess she was giving two talks and there was a break in between. And uh, she's asked by this person, I guess it was an interview, and the person goes, hey, like of all the things you're doing, what's the biggest challenge you've got? You know, she formed this religious order, a bunch of nuns who would f continue her work. And she's asked, like, what's the biggest challenge among your community? You know, and the person asking the question was thinking, yeah, you know, like, dealing with poverty and desperate, dying people in the streets and homelessness. She didn't mention any of that. She said, the biggest challenge I've got is professionalism. <laughs> the person was like, well, what do you mean professionalism? This is what she said. I have five sisters right now that are getting MD degrees and a bunch more getting RN, LPN, and MSW degrees. But a funny thing happens along the way. When they come back from their education, they become concerned about titles and offices and parking privileges. So I take all of that away from them and I send them to the hospice for the dying, where people go to die. There they hold their hands and they pray with them and they feed them. And after about six months of that, they get things straight again and they remember their vocation to be a spiritual presence first and a professional presence second. Like, man, these are Mother Teresa nuns. These are like little mini Mother Teresas. And they're messing it up. They're forgetting. They're getting blinded by nonsense. We all do. So it's like all the more, you got them, you got the apostles. Like, who's better than them? And they screwed it up. How could we not? There's so much working against trying to be a decent person, trying to live a decent life. So if we don't hear it and see it from the people who matter most, we're not going to get it. And we've got to get it. So we got to give it. We got to hear it and we got to see it. I mean, something as simple as saying grace at meals. Like in my house, like 
We said grace every night. We also said it like, like we, 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 we set like world records in how fast we would. We like just mumbled through grace. It was kind of unintelligible. Nobody even probably for outside would understand what we were saying, but it was like we had it memorized and we just said it. We were all kind of hungry probably and wanted to eat. But we said it. And if we forgot, somebody reminded us. And it was a subtle like, yeah, like, God, you can't, I'm starving right now, but you can't forget what matters most, who matters most. I remember my, grand, my grandmother lived with me growing up. My mom's mom, well, my mom's, I mean, my dad's mom, I remember staying with us once for, a, she used to stay a lot. This one particular day, I remember walking by, my, she'd stay in, my, my sister would get kicked out of her room and my grandmother would be staying in my sister's room. And I remember walking by one day and the, the door was, you know, open a couple of inches. And I could see my grandmother kneeling at the bed, saying her prayers. Like, I look back on it now, it's like obviously she, she did that every morning and she did it every night. And that's like 50 years ago. And I remember it. Like somebody I loved, somebody who was important. And I got to see them in action. And I'm telling you about it now. Like, it's the power of good example. And we're called to it. Like, it's, come on, it's required of us, all of us. Like, don't you want to be that kid in the schoolyard? Don't you want to be that guy on the line down at Katrina who just kind of shifts things and makes things right? So what needs to be seen and what needs to be heard? Let people hear it.